It is my distinct privilege and pleasure to introduce to you our speaker for today. Uh, his name is Byung Ham. People call him B. Uh, he's originally from Maryland, from the hood, uh, but also <laughs> now he's in Atlanta um, at Ponce Presbyterian with his lovely wife, Nikki, who's the music director there, uh, and he's serving in that capacity. But um, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we connect on a lot of different levels, and uh, yeah, he's, he just has a passion for the gospel that you just rarely see, and then he just kind of keeps it real and just straight, and so it's really easy to understand, but it cuts right to the heart, and so I'm super excited uh, for him uh, to be here. He's been speaking to our students at the youth retreat for the last couple of days, and so we invited him uh, kind of as a finisher uh, to go ahead and speak um, and just to share the word with us, so I'm super excited. As we do that, we're going to go ahead and read Psalm 23 really quickly, um, and then we'll hand it over and see what God has to say to him, but Psalm Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6, I believe, correct? Uh, so Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6, when you see the capital L-O-R-D, I will read Yahweh, because in Hebrew, that's what it says. So here it is. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you invite, uh, will you join me as we invite uh, B up and uh, to share the word? Good morning, RK. Good morning. It is another beautiful opportunity to share the Word of God with you guys. Now, uh, before we proceed, uh, I, I, I kept forgetting to do this during the retreat, because I just get in the zone before I preach, and I, and I, and I, and I uh, forget all, everything else that I was thinking about before I, I go up here. So before I give you the Word of Life, I want to introduce to you my wife, okay? And she's not here, but... Uh, she is praying for us. So uh, for those who are at the retreat, I know we got to know each other. Some of us we didn't get to meet. I apologize for that. But um, I did want to share a few photos of my family. That's my wife, Nicole. Uh, she goes by Nikki. Uh, so I go, some of you know the story how we met. So, uh, so I saw that in the hotel lobby. And <laughs> I saw her in the hotel lobby, and uh, I made a move on her, right? So that's my wife, Nicole, or Nikki. She goes by Nikki. And I just want to share a few photos of my, my in-laws. This is my in-laws, uh, Dr. Carl Ellis, my father-in-law. We call him Dr. Dad. And uh, my, my mother-in-law, uh, Dr. Karen Ellis. And that's my mom and dad. Right? That's my, you guys can tell who my mom and who my dad is. Right? <laughs> I don't got to explain that. Okay? So those are my parents. Uh, this is a photo we took together right before they flew to Korea. Uh, they're retired, so they spent half the year in Korea and half the year in Baltimore, Maryland, where we're from. So those are my parents. And I think I have one more photo, maybe? Yeah, that's a wedding photo of, of my lovely bride and, and I. Uh, so yeah, so that, those are a few photos. Just want to give you an idea of what my life looks like and what my family is. And I just want to encourage those in, in this room that do not have Christian mother and father, uh, have a Christian mother and father. I, I too do not have a Christian mother and father uh, biologically, but God answered my prayer through marriage, and he gave me a Christian family uh, through 
holy matrimony, through the covenant of marriage. So I finally have a praying mother and father. Um, they're just not Korean. Uh, they're black. So uh, God has answered my prayer that way. Now, I still do, and I still wish, and I hope and pray that my mother and father would repent and turn to the Lord one day. But uh, until then, uh, I continue to find much contentment and satisfaction uh, in how God has answered my prayer through such a um, beautiful way and uh, in his manifold wisdom. He gave me exactly what I needed. With that said, and with all that in mind, uh, Pastor Pete already read the, our, our primary text this morning, but I want to identify the, the Lord, Yahweh. I want to identify the shepherd for us. So can you turn your Bible to John chapter 10 right quick before we dissect and uh, unleash Psalm 23 together? Let's look at John 10, and we want to identify this shepherd. Now, we are coming from an Old Testament text so they have not met the incarnate, the incarnate God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. They have not met him yet. Um, well, some of them have in the theophany, you could say, but that's for another conversation, another sermon. But we want to identify who the, the, the Lord, the shepherd, in Psalm 23 is, right? David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, who is this shepherd? Who is this Lord? that he is referring to. And so we're going to look at uh, verse 14 of John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 14. And Jesus tells us, um, actually, let's look at verse 11. I apologize, verse 11. In verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who has a higher hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, an employee, and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own and my own know me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Hopefully my mom and dad, right? And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Hopefully your mom and dad, right? And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So when you look at Psalm 23, it is safe to say, it is safe to see that it is Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, what's amazing about King David, the author of Psalm 23, is he knew, very, compared to us, he knew very, very, very little about God compared to us. 
And we know a significant, um, significantly more about God than David did. And yet, David knew God like this, so intimately. It puts me to shame sometimes. Right? He knew such, such uh, uh, a small amount compared to me, compared to you. We have the whole Bible now, right? And David is looking forward to this Messiah, this shepherd, to rescue him. And he believed. I invite you, even before we go any farther, to believe with me. Whether you've been to seminary or you haven't, whether you've been going to Bible study all your life or you've never been to a Bible study, whether you've been to a hundred services or you've never been to Sunday service uh, before today, whatever you know about God, about Jesus, believe with me. Believe. What little you know, have faith in that knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me pray real quick for this belief, for this faith. God, we thank you that every parable, every story somehow whispers the name of Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see your son concealed. In the New Testament, we see your son revealed. We thank you so much for Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We thank you that he endured our shame, the scorn, the humiliation. Jesus in my place. The good news. Thank you that, Jesus, you have authority to lay your life down and to take it up again. He is risen. Thank you, God, that when we read this passage, we know that you are here. You are alive and well. And I pray that you would whisper into the direction of the lost and the sad and the depressed and the heartbroken, even those who um, are moving to a new city, and are very sad. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 The title of this morning's message is A Declaration of Dependence. A Declaration of Dependence. And the reason that I titled our sermon A Declaration of Dependence is because our country is formed or uh, built upon the Declaration of Independence, right? That is what, what is our country is known for and built upon. The Declaration of Independence. And the Declaration of Independence says that we have unalienable rights. And three of those unalienable rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So many of us think that in order to be happy, in order to be satisfied, in order to be liberated or emancipated, we must experience independence. Think about the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting, I'm not a parent yet, hopefully God will allow me to be a parent one day, but the goal of parenting is to make a totally dependent human being, a baby, a child, into an independent adult, right? That's the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is to make a totally dependent child into an independent adult. Because my mom and dad pushed me very hard when I was young, and I'm sure your mom and dad pushed you very hard too. And one time I asked my mom and dad, 
why do you push me so hard? And they told me the secret, which was rather obvious, but I didn't know. He said, the reason we push you so hard is because one day, Oma and Appa, one day, Mom and Dad are going to pass away. We're not going to be here anymore, and you will be all alone. Well, you'll have your brother, but, you, you know, mostly you'll be all alone. And we want you to be able to survive and thrive without us. You need to become independent, untethered, and freed from us and our sustenance and our, um, you know, our, our, our welfare. Right? So that's the goal of parenting, to make a dependent child into an independent child. However, the goal of God is polarized. Um, it's diametrically opposed to how we parent. And that's why... It's confusing because the goal of God is to take independent people, self-sufficient people, self-reliant people, self-governed people, and transform them into dependent children. What did Jesus say? Unless you have faith like a child, childlike faith, you will not see the kingdom of God. Isn't that what Jesus said? Unless you have faith like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. God is always and sovereignly trying to make independent people into wholeheartedly dependent people of him. To make mature men and women into helpless babes. John Piper, a well-known pastor, said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. But for the sake of today's text, I'd like to remix it or tweak it a bit. That God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. And that's what David is showing us today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Right? And so David goes on and on about how the Lord satisfies him. And thus, in David's life, he glorifies him. So independence is not about, I'm sorry, real freedom is not about independence. It's actually about what you depend on. A fish is free in the water because it totally depends on the water for its livelihood, right? In order to be completely free, you must respect and honor your design the way you were made. And we were made for God. Your hearts are restless until it finds rest in thee. You were made for God. I know growing up, you have, been, you have been told over and over, you were made for wealth, made for health, made for success, made for achievement. But today's text says that you are made for God. You are made for God. And so David tells us three promises in this text today. And I want to share these promises with you. He says, The good shepherd 
promises to be my personal provider. My personal provider. I tried to use alliteration, so I'm going to use all three uh, points with P's. Okay? So the good shepherd promises to be my personal provider. Secondly, the good shepherd promises to be my personal protection. Thirdly and lastly, the good shepherd promises to be my never-ending presence and purpose in life. My never-ending presence and purpose in life. Now, I want to, before we get to provider, I want us to remind everyone in this room that just like the fish in the water, um, just like the shepherd and the sheep, we must first ascertain our identity. Because identity determines activity. Identity determines activity. For instance, uh, I think many of us in this room are Korean. And when I was very young, I didn't like kimchi. I love kimchi now, right? But I didn't like kimchi growing up. And so when I didn't eat kimchi activity, my mom said, you're not Korean, identity. <laughs> right? She said, no, 한국 사람 아니야, right? You are not Korean because you won't eat kimchi, right? If you're Korean, you will eat kimchi. That's what she said to me. She shamed me right? <laughs> into liking kimchi. But the point is, Identity determines activity. David identified with sheep. Why did he identify with sheep? Because he was once a shepherd. He once took care of them. And he knew how helpless and weak sheep are. Secondly, David knew something that we don't want to admit about ourselves. But we're similar to sheep. And how are we similar to sheep? Well, compared to God, we're stupid. Sheep are stupid creatures. Uh, I heard that when sheep um, are in the rain, when they're outside during the rain, and they look up, they drown. <laughs> like they don't stare, just stare. And I don't know if it's true or not, but they say that sheep are so stupid that uh, when they go to a running brook, they won't drink because they're afraid of the sound. They won't drink. They have to drink from still water. And even when you bring them to tranquil and still water, they still won't drink. Because when they see the reflection, their reflection, they won't drink. That's how stupid they are. And I don't like to think of myself as stupid. I take myself very seriously. Yeah, maybe you do too. Maybe you got that illness. Right? I take myself very seriously. But compared to God, we are stupid. We're not wiser than him. We don't know more than him. But we, we treat God like he's stupid. He doesn't know anything. I know more than him. I know better than him. And so let us establish that first, that we are sheep and that he is our shepherd. Right? He is our shepherd. And the good shepherd promises to be my personal provider. My personal provider. Uh, we see that David talks about how the good shepherd Makes, my, makes me lie down in green pastures, verse 2. So he provides sustenance, right, food. He leads me beside still waters. He helps not only in um, provision, he gives me a psychological peace. Right? There's provision, there's psychiatry, and lastly, he restores my soul. 
There's a spiritual essence that God offers us. There's so much here, but you know what David is telling us about his relationship with God? God completes him. He is satisfied with his maker. Charles Spurgeon says something rather poignant about life and about God. Listen to what he says. He says, we have seen many men with money who were not happy. We have seen many men with honor who were not happy. We have seen persons in power with command of empires who were not happy. But we never saw and never shall see the individual who has Jesus and is not happy. You know, one of the most attractive things about Christianity is satisfaction, is pleasure, it is delight. I shared with some of you guys at the retreat, or most of you guys at the retreat, that after I became a Christian, I walked away from uh, sex. I walked away from parties. I walked away from being popular. I, I lost all my friends, okay? I walked away. I turned my back upon the world, and I decided to follow Jesus because I was afraid of hell? Simply because I wanted to go to heaven? No, because I discovered Jesus is better than these things, that Jesus will provide. I sense my need for God, my need for God, and that is why I began to follow Jesus. My friends and family, what is your greatest need this morning? Some of you may think my greatest need is a bigger house, or some of you may think my greatest need is better grades. Some of you think my greatest need is a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a nice car, a car at all. Some of you would think better friends, but the Bible says your greatest need is God. All of your needs reflect your actual need for God. And David understood this. David surrendered to this truth. And let me, let me define surrender to you. Because we hear this song all the time. I surrender. <laughs> some of y'all know that song. I surrender. Right? And some of us, we really don't know what we're singing. Right? We don't know what we're talking about. Right? So what is surrender? Surrender is very plain. But let me tell you, surrender is nothing more than just agreeing with God. Agreement with God, namely about what he says about you. That's surrender. God says you're sheep, and you say, God, I agree. I surrender. God says you are helpless, and you are a sinner. You cannot save yourself, and you surrender. God says you are selfish and egocentric. You only think about yourself. And you're not defiantly saying, whatever, God. No, you say, I surrender. I agree with you, God. And that's worship, too. Worship is just looking at life God's way. 
Oh my goodness, the, the trees are clapping. The rocks are crying out. I want to see life God's way. I surrender. I worship you. And that's all David is telling us in these three verses. I agree with God. I'm sheep. He is Lord. I'm not God. He's God. I need him. He doesn't need me. <laughs> I need God, but I don't really want him. God doesn't need me. But he's weird. He's wild. He still really, really wants me, even though I don't want him. Will you surrender? Because that's the only way to satisfaction. To agree with God. When you agree with God that you are a sinner and he is your savior, you will taste and see that he is good. You will. David knew that. David knew that. So let's go to the next idea. The good shepherd promises to be my personal protector. Personal protector, and I could add healer. Because listen to what David says in verse 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'll stop there for now. You know, when I uh, read this psalm, uh, especially verse 4, uh, I thought, man, David is rough, rugged, and raw. You know, he can walk through a dark alley, and he's not scared. He ain't scared of anything. And I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian when I was young. You're just fearless and bold and tenacious. But I realized that's not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is going to places you don't want to go because you know God is there. You know God is with you. Emmanuel. When I was uh, young, I, I grew up in Baltimore City. It's a scary place. Uh, some of you guys who follow news, Donald Trump just called my home city <laughs> uh, uh, infestation, right? Um, and it is, to some degree, it, is, um, it has lousy, lousy components. Um, and there's a lot of violent crimes. The homicide rate in Baltimore City is the highest in the country per capita. And uh, I remember one time I was closing up my father's store. He had the beauty, beauty supply store, uh, Kage. And he, we were, I was, yeah, that's right, Kage, right? And, uh, and, and we, were, we were shutting the store down. Well, I was shutting the store down by myself. And uh, I remember walking to my car, and these two boys jumped out of the shadows and held a gun to my face. And uh, they, of course, I know what they wanted. They wanted my money, right? They wanted my possessions. And the young boy stuck his gun in my face and said, give me everything you have. And in that moment, instead of giving them what I have, um, I did the stupidest thing. Um, I said, no. <laughs> Because I had a lot of money on me that day. Um, usually I don't have any money on me when I'm leaving the store. But that day, they just caught me at the, uh, the right time and had a lot of money. And the one of the reasons I said no is because I could tell they were scared. Like, it was their first time or something. 
<laughs> I could tell, like, you know, they were, like, kind of shaky. They weren't holding the gun right, you know. His voice, like, he's going through puberty, you know. Um, it's all shaky and squeaky, and it needed some oil, right? And I was like, you know, this, this, this boy, you know, he's a rookie. And so I, I, I was like, he ain't going to shoot me, right? So I was like, hey, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to go to my car, and you're not going to shoot me. And so I was walking away, stupid, right? And he didn't shoot me, right? And I, after I, I, I left that situation, um, I realized how prideful I am, how stupid I am, that I was willing to lay down my life for money, right? I love money more than my own life. And, and David is walking through the shadow of death. Um, and I want you guys to understand the context of this psalm. David was going through a miserable period of his life. And he was scared, just like I was, when a gun was to my face. And why was David going through a miserable period of his life? Because like me, he loves something more than God. David loved being a king more than his family. David loved being in charge, being great in the eyes of men, more than being great in the eyes of God. And the consequence of David's sin is that his son, Absalom, hated him, abhorred him. So much that he tries to kill his father, David. And David is running for his life during this psalm. He's running like a fugitive. But this time he's not running from Saul, an arch rival, a nemesis. He's running from his own flesh and blood, Absalom. Now you and I have family problems. Don't front. You got family problems. I got family problems too. You've heard some of y'all heard my stories at the, at the retreat. I got family problems. But if your own son is trying to kill you, that's a family problem, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't like my dad sometimes. I don't like my mom sometimes. I don't like my brother a lot of times. But I never try to kill them. <laughs> they don't like me half the time, but they never try to kill me. At least I don't think so. <laughs> But guys, I want you to understand something about David's life because he loves something more than God. He lost everything. He loves something more than God and he lost everything. Because I'm going to tell you all something about life. You can succeed in your job, in your career, in your love. You can succeed in whatever field of life you think. But if you fail at home, you failed. If you fail at home, you are a failure. David is known as the greatest king of Israel, the goat. Right? Y'all know that term, the goat. He is the goat of Israel. But guess what? He's a loser at home. He's a deadbeat dad. And that's what David is working through. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And guess why he's there? Because he sinned against God. And I would encourage some of us in this room, even if, if it's all your fault that you're in the valley, that you're in the darkness, even though it's all your fault, 
you get shot, like, I didn't get shot, but, you know, if I got shot, it would have been all my fault, right? Even if it's all your fault, you're in your situation, God draws near. God loves you. God cares. But I want you to notice something in the, in the, um, the pronouns. I want to prove this to you. In verses 1 through, verses 1 through 3, how does David refer to God? He refers to God in third person, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me, he makes me uh, lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, right? So he refers to God in third person. He, 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 he. In verse 4, when the lights go out, how does David refer to God? Which pronoun does he use? He uses the second person. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, when the lights go out, God draws near. You don't draw near to God. It is God who draws near to you. And the cool thing about the shadow is it proves there is light. Amen? Amen. It's a shadow, y'all. A shadow proves there is light. There is light. There is hope in your, dark, in your dark time. Nothing but time and the light can shake the dark. Nothing but taking the honest pain into the presence of God can heal you. Can heal you. Because listen to what David says in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, or my cup runneth over. I don't know if anyone has ever thrown you a surprise birthday party or a surprise party, but it is a grand experience. I have had surprise birthday parties. But last time I checked, when you throw somebody a surprise party, you want to surprise them by inviting all of their favorite people, right? And you make their favorite food, and all of their favorite festivities, correct? But listen to what God does when he throws David a surprise party. He surrounds him with his enemies. Why does God surround David with his enemies, his haters? Because God wants to heal you and protect you from the people that have hurt you the most, that have told you that you're good for nothing. God wants to cover you because God wants to reconcile our past shame and redeem every pain. A lot of us we know that uh, when we think about calling ourselves Christians, there, for, every per, for every time we think that we're a Christian, there's so many lies and taunts and people saying, what kind of Christian are you? You sleep around. Or what kind of Christian are you? You still struggle with pornography. What kind of Christian are you? You're a liar and gossiper. You're a hypocrite. And so God invites all the people that said, David, it's a phony. David, it's not who he says he is. And what does David do in the presence? I'm sorry, what does God do in the presence of David's enemies? He validates him. 
He's the lifter of his head. Unless you understand that only God can save you from the sins done against you and the sins you have done against other people, you will not be free. You will always hide. You will always pretend. You will always live as if you are somebody else. Some of you guys heard my story uh, at the retreat. Uh, when I was very young, I was molested. And that's the kind of people that was surrounding David. The people that has uh, violated him, abused him. And God says to David in the middle of that party, they don't define you anymore. I do. Your worst mistake does not define you. Even if you had an abortion, that doesn't define you anymore. It's wrong, but it doesn't define you anymore. The greatest thing you've done does not define you anymore. So you don't have to maintain your greatness. That's exhausting. So what defines you? The delight of Jesus Christ. That's what defines you. And that heals you from insecurity and inadequacy. Have you been healed? Have you invited God into your pain? I had to invite God into my uh, molestation and say, God, heal me there because that defines me. But I want you to define me. I want you to be the lifter of my head because I, I hang my head when I think about what happened to me as a young boy, right? But now I lift my head up high because God is the lifter of my head. I have no strength to lift my own head up when I'm faced with my shame and what's happened to me. But let's close by talking about the last verse. God promises to be my never-ending presence and purpose in life. Listen to what David says in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, uh, your translation said, surely goodness and loving kindness, this hesed love, this, kind, this goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. During this period of David's life, he is homeless. He is homeless. And it's, it's reminiscent of what Jesus said. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was homeless at one, he was homeless literally and spiritually. He left home to create a home for us. And so David is homeless too, and he's experiencing the things that will come for the true Messiah. And you know what David is realizing at this point of his life? That his home is not a palace. His home is not a kingdom. His home is not a country. Home is a relationship. Home is a relationship. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, right? So I call that home. I don't really call Korea my home. I don't remember Korea. I call Baltimore, Maryland home. But after I got married, my wife and I, we decided to move from Baltimore, Maryland, and now we live in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was really sad when I left Baltimore. 
I almost got resentful. I was like, man, I have to move. I got to work on my marriage, you know? But you know what I realized while I was in Atlanta? Home is not a town or a zip code. Home is a relationship. Home is wherever my wife is. She is home now. And David is saying, God is my home. God is home. Whether I'm sleeping in a cave or in a palace, whether I have wealth or I am on welfare, I am at home with God. God is my home. He is my never-ending presence in life. Think about heaven for a second as we close. Heaven is not heaven because your loved ones are there or because tears are wiped away or because all is made new, glorious as these things are. Why is heaven called heaven? Heaven is heaven because of five words. I will be your God. That's why heaven is heaven, my friends, because of these five words. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's what it's all about. God looked at the Israelites when he freed them from the hands of Pharaoh, and he said, I've set you free from the love of the world, from the love of comfort and convenience. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. David understood that. He said, wherever I go, whatever condition I am in, I'm experiencing home, away from my true home. Paul told the Philippians that his citizenship is not Rome. He said, my citizenship is in heaven. And I eagerly anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Only those who anticipate the coming of Christ know what home is. Home is Jesus. Jesus says, let go of your life this morning. So you can let go of your life and your understanding of freedom and your understanding of happiness and your understanding of independence. You can let these things go because Jesus says to you today, my life for your life on the cross. He came and he bled and he shed all of his glory so that you could be set free from these inferior glories and satisfactions and know that God is your glory and God is your shepherd and you are just sheep. So will you say with me this morning, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I want. If God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, won't he give us all good things? Let's pray.
Oh, dear friends, family of God, following Jesus is not easy. It is impossible. Without the grace of God, without tasting him, you cannot obey him. Without being satisfied in him, without savoring the Savior, you will not be able to submit to him. I am inviting you to follow Jesus with me, with us. And remember, the grace of God may take precious, precious things from you, but it will never leave you poor. That's his promise to David, and that's his promise to us. The grace of God may take precious, precious things from you, but it will never leave you poor. You may have to surrender your status. You may have to surrender your wealth. You may have to surrender your comfort. You may have to surrender your friendships. But remember that Christ surrendered on the cross. My life for your life. See, it's safe to let go of your life now because you know that your life is in his hands. That's the good news. You don't want your life to be in your hands. You want your life to be in his hands. Continue to pray. Thank you so much.